Hi, my name is Dominique, and together with my team, we produce the content for our weekly Swisspreneur episodes. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If I say, thank you so much, or yeah, thank you so much, it's exactly the same words, but two opposite meanings carried entirely by my intonation. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Theo, you are the co-founder and CEO of Auto.ai, a startup that is transforming the way we hear the world thanks to your AI-powered voice intelligence solution. A warm welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's Great to have you here today. Thank you. It's great to be here. So first, I would like to talk a bit more about your personal background. Yeah. Um, you didn't study business or engineering. You studied at the Hotel Ecolière in Lausanne with a finance major. So there is some business relation. I was just wondering in what way has this education supported or also hindered your career as an entrepreneur? So uh, mostly supported because I, um, I mean, business is all about the customer and customer is all about how you service them. And I think I am very grateful to have been able to learn the service part and how to handle and how to satisfy and how to wow a customer, uh, which I which I have in my daily life, uh, of course. Uh, but that to say, I uh, now work in a technology startup and uh, and definitely some background in more engineering and mathematics to have a deeper understanding of, of what we do would be welcome. But at the same time, that's why I have a fantastic partner to do that. Right. So you basically... The, the skills that are now sort of missing to a certain degree for the tech startup, that's where you have a strong team to back them up, right? Exactly, exactly. What was also uh, interesting for me, you also have a very entrepreneurial family. Uh, your father, Andre, was also a guest on the Swisspreneur show in the early days with the video series. Was there also any sort of pressure or need to sort of fill the entrepreneurial shoes with your family background? Uh, pressure is probably not the right word, but definitely motivation. Mm-hmm. Uh, motivation and some a certain comfort to uh, to take risks. Uh, very early on, I, I, by the family, I was very encouraged to, you know, try out things, take risks and dare to go. And, and, uh, and so that has been a good support. Do you have an, an example how that showed back in the days? Um, yeah, when I was just 18, I had just gotten my maturity and, um, and the question was, hey, try to go to university directly or do something else. And then I actually, uh, decided to go to China, uh, work in a factory for, for like eight months and start my first company back then. And, uh, it was a bit of an odd choice at that time, uh, but very supported in terms of, uh, in terms of family from a family perspective. So that was, that was, for example, nice to, to have. Absolutely. Let's also talk a bit about your China experience. Uh, you spent time in Hong Kong and also in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. You know, the culture there seems to be pretty different uh, to what we know from Europe or in general, the, the Western culture. In, in what way has this also shaped you and helped you because you started your first company there? I mean, it took me one and a half years to realize that I needed to um, set everything to zero in terms of my cultural understanding. Uh, simple thing, right? But uh, uh, ni hao is hello in Chinese. Uh, it's a formality that kind of brings a small distance between two people. In Switzerland or in Europe, it's a greeting that is, hey, I'm close with you. Hello, how are right. you? Like, let's connect, you know. 
so even at that very first step of a conversation, uh, the, the mindsets are op opposites in the way you handle things. Mm -hmm. So uh, the way it helped me is to really um, be extremely open-minded, extremely ready to learn uh, and ready to be surprised by, by, by certain ways of doing certain events uh, and, and, and grow from there. Uh, so that that was a uh, definitely good good learning. Sort of uh, swimming in the cold water, I can imagine. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> it was it was a lot of, a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of frustrations at times. Uh, it was it was a good fight. And you also started two companies uh, during your time: um, Artifact, a uh, furniture and painting startup, and also Good Media, an ad business startup in China, actually. How do you start a company in China? Yeah, it's, it was interesting. So, like I said, during my gap year, I spent, first of all, eight months working in a factory. Mm -hmm. um, it was six and a half days a week. And my salary was 110 US dollars per month. Um, it was in, uh, in Yaopu, which was a, a village that is quite far from Hong Kong in mainland China. Mm -hmm. And close to there, I, um, in my time off, I visited a, a village that's called Dafen that basically has only painters there. Uh, and they paint all day and it's like thousands of people painting all day. Wow. And uh, you see some Van Gogh, you see some, you know, copies of masterpieces everywhere. It's quite fascinating. And I asked the price and it was like 50 cents for, for, for painting. And they paint that by hand? Paint that by hand, wow. with all painting and everything. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, wow, I, I, I need that in my living room. I love it. Uh, and then one thing led to another. I started to resell them a little bit in Europe to hotel chains and to university students and made a bit of a living throughout university with this one. Nice. Yeah. But then at a certain point, you also decided to move somewhere else. Um, I think it was in 2016 when you joined SRI International which is an American nonprofit scientific research institute. And they were like very well-known spin-offs like Siri, for example, that was acquired by Apple. So you basically moved then from the Asian part of the world to the opposite part, to yeah. the United States. Yeah. Why did you decide to then, you know, not continue with your own companies in, in, in the Asian markets, uh, but do completely the opposite and go to the United States? So before I went to the U.S., so I, so I basically had my first company and I had it throughout university. Mm -hmm. Kind of stopped with the end of university because I wanted to do something else. And I went for another four years in Shanghai. There I started this media digital uh, advertising company. Um, and it was rough. It was very rough. Like it was very hard. Why? Um, we did some amount of revenue, but the amount of money that went into making sure the operation would run smoothly, like it was because of the cultural difference, it was very hard to, um, um, to make a profitable business out of, out of it. Um, I relied too much on, you know, local talent to handle things that I couldn't handle as, as a foreigner. So you, you fairly quickly become limited in what you can actually do there. On top of it, there was the pollution, uh, which was very hard uh, from a health perspective. And then those combination of two uh, thought, okay, I have done my time here, uh, spent overall five years in China, I wanna see something else. So I was able to sell the company modestly, but I was able to sell the company in 2015 and take a gap year. And back then I was like, okay, either I go back to Switzerland, I go back to the US or I go back to Turkey. Um, and, uh, and I spent, a few months on e in each country, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and six days in the Silicon Valley turned actually into three and a half <laughs> years. So it's a bit of the American dream and we can get to it uh, in a second, of course. What made the difference? Because now it's just described you spend time in, in different countries. 
what was so appealing that you say, hey, I want to go and stay in Silicon Valley? So it's a bit of a, I mean, Silicon Valley is a bit of a entrepreneur paradise. Um, and then coming from China, it was so easy to mingle. I spoke the language. People understood what I was actually saying. They were actually meaning what they were saying back to me as well. So it, it, it kind of felt back to, 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 to paradise. And then, um, so I decided to spend two months just figuring out if there's something for me to do there. Mm -hmm. As you know, with the visas and everything, it's quite complicated to actually stay in the U.S., especially right. as an entrepreneur. And, um, and I networked, 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 networked until almost kind of randomly I met the president of that research center. Uh, and it's funny because when I met him, I didn't really realize how big this research center was. I hadn't done my homework so well. Mm -hmm. And a 45 minute meeting turned into a two and a half, two and a half hour meeting. Well, that's usually a good sign. That's usually a good sign, exactly. <laughs> and then uh, American style, you know, like you don't really have the pedigree, you don't really have the profile, but you have an interesting mind. And in China, I had actually put together a technology and a business and made a business model out of it. And that's exactly what they look for. They have 2,400 researchers. They're looking for some creative business minds to basically spin up technology and create a business model around their assets. And so the guy, I mean, Manish, the, the president of SRI, made this connection and said, let's give it a shot. Why don't you come for two months and we see if it fits? Well, that's a really great story. It was awesome. Tell us a bit more about how you actually got in contact with him. You said you were networking. What did you do? Because usually, you know, the, the high profile people, you don't really get access to them that easily. I met a bit of everything. Uh, and then, you know, from one thing to another, um, you get introduced. Um, I think the key is that you have to have a bit of a project, a bit of some ideas that you can bring to the table. Um, back then, I was, I was um, actually doing some sort of work for Solar Impulse, seeing if there could be some technological exchanges between the Silicon Valley and what was created here in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And I used that a little bit as a catalyst to, you know, have a topic of conversation with interesting people. Nice. Um, and, uh, and that's how it came about. And so sort of also your already experience that you had, you know, back from China and so on was really also a, a catalyst on top of that, of the brand of Solar Impulse to a certain degree. Exactly. To really have this experience. So you didn't even have to be prepared that well to make a good conversation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was some interesting baggage. Five years in China uh, with two companies, there's a lot of good stories to share. Of Absolutely. And then tell us a bit more. Your title was Entrepreneur in Residence. Mm -hmm. And what did you do? What was uh, your, what did your life look like there? To be honest, it was amazing. I had a, a blank sheet of paper mm -hmm. with no assignment other than a weekly presentations on my ideas. Nice. And um, I had, um, so again, like I said, it's 120,000 square meters of offices with 2,000 researchers in the heart of Menlo Park with people working on fascinating things. And I had a database and I could look at some of the topics that was worked on and the things that thought was interesting, I could actually prompt a meeting with those researchers and then try to figure out what was the technology about, why was it special, what was its purpose, what could be used for, and then just brainstorm all day long with uh, each researchers on what could be done with those technologies. Right. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, you were employed, right? So you as an entrepreneur at heart and also entrepreneur family background, you could have also decided to start your own company in Silicon Valley already then. Why didn't you do that? So I had zero contact. I had no visa. Um, and then SRI is a, is a famous brand there. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And so uh, it was quite amazing. Every time I knocked on the door and I said, I'm from SRI, the door would open and say, hey, let's chat. And so I had this business card that would open an amazing network up to up to my feet. It was amazing. Um, and so uh, not only was high tech and I didn't know much about high tech, so it was a, a, a good time to be paid and to learn about it and to potentially have a, a spin up out of it. And at the same time, it was an amazing way to create the network. Absolutely. So back to the cold water, basically. And back to the cold water. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and it's very American style. Like every week you have to present. And if they sense that you're not really making progress or you're not onto something interesting, that's it, that you're gone. Uh, and then there are milestones that are weekly and sometimes monthly and you have to present and, and refine, refine, refine. And you have roughly 12 months to come up with an interesting enough concept that they will launch it in a spin-up. So the pressure was on. Pressure was on. Exactly. Absolutely. It was not vacation. <laughs> yeah. Luckily not. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, you know, also you basically created your startup out of uh, SRI together with your co-founder, Nicola. Yep. Can you talk a bit more how you actually met and then came the idea about starting your own company and eventually creating a spin-off? Yeah. So it was a, it was um entrepreneurial process in some sense. I started with the technology, thought there was a lot of potential in transforming how we analyze the voice. Uh, and the state of the art of what was today and what it could be going towards with this technology. Um, and then I was looking for a CTO, but for a long time, it took me more than six months. And I actually have the, the files on, but I, I did 64 uh, potential partnership meetings to get to find Nico. Uh, so it was a long search and I started in the Valley and realized it was very difficult to find a partner there. Uh, because the, basically the, the GAFAs, they swallow the talent and yeah. the salaries are so high that the opportunity cost of starting a company is very high there. And so you needed to be kind of a rock star to get a rock star co-founder there, right. which I wasn't. Not yet. <laughs> exactly, not yet. And so moved more and more east, even looked in New York and eventually crossed the Atlantic, came to Zurich. I did even some meetups here in, uh, uh, in Zurich to find new potential co-founders and then eventually um, my girlfriend actually is a, is a recruiter and she pulled a few uh, uh, profiles for me to just reach out cold on LinkedIn, um, about 20 profiles, and then one of them was Nico. And then we hit it off very quickly. We met back in Bern in between. I was in Lausanne, he was in Zurich. And, uh, and his, his background was amazing for, 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 for what we wanted to do at Otto. Right. And despite his background, what made you feel comfortable that he's the right co-founder? There are two things. Uh, in most of the meetings with, with like AI and data scientists, I always ask, do you think that's possible? And the answer was always, it depends. And Nico's first answer was like, of course I can build that in two days. <laughs> and I love that, uh, I love that, uh, that positive and optimism mindset he had. And actually, he took a, a bit like in a movie, he took a napkin, we were in a restaurant, took a napkin, drew a, a, a scheme that I still have, uh, and said, this is how I can build it. Awesome. Do you have it framed somewhere, the napkin? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not really? framed yet, but I have it very okay. preciously stored, and I'm waiting for the right time to gift okay. it back to Nico. Very nice. So let's also talk a bit about the market opportunity that you actually tackle with Otto. Uh, you started with the call center market. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a bit more about you know the, the size and why this was the right market to start? So uh, the size is quite large. You can look at uh, you can look at it in in um, in various ways, but there are 
roughly about 300 billion conversations between customers and businesses around the world. Um, call center operator is the fourth or fifth largest um, uh, employment in the US. So there are 3.2 million contact center agents. Uh, so it's a, it's a massive industry. Um, and why was it the right place to start is because like any other AI companies, we needed data um, and we needed structured data. And so contact centers were great because of course you had millions of very standardized conversations that happened for similar topics with similar outcomes and a lot of metadata around the CRM of what actually happened on the call. And, uh, and so that's kind of the early uh, premise of why we targeted the contact center. Got it. And your core is basically the deep, deep tone insights uh, where you also sort of claim to understand the human behaviors and sounds based on real-time data. But what's the actual problem that you solved for the call centers back then? Yes. What's, like, where did you start? So let me back up a little bit and, and tell you a little bit about speech technologies. Roughly, in a nutshell, 95% of the market is doing speech to text. But then when you squash a rich information that is voiced into just a single series of words, it becomes very ambiguous. So if I, again, if I say, thank you so much, oh yeah, thank you so much. It's exactly the same words, but two opposite meanings carried entirely by my intonation. And so there's the Maribyrn formula that says that the three human uh, dimension of the communication is body language, which represents about 55% of the meaning conveyed. Uh, intonation carries about 38% and words only 7%, right? And so our core IP is all about modeling this 38% and bringing that to life. So there's more context, more understanding. And it has to do a lot with emotion, with experience, with, you know, the human connection. And that's a key element for the contact centers. And so that was our positioning is to really bring the experiential understanding of the quality of conversations in contact centers. Well, I'm, this is crazy. I didn't know these numbers. That's like... Mind-blowing. Only 7% the actual... It's amazing, yeah? Wow. It's yeah. amazing. And then, you know, there's probably also an ROI that you had to present to the call centers. Yes. So what was that for them? What's like, okay, this is a justifying investment that actually helps us to do what better? Yeah. So we had two solutions for two sides of the conversation. On one hand, you have the agent. On the other hand, you have uh, the customer. Um, for the agent, we decided to build a real-time coaching tool. Roughly, it's like a fitness tracker that gives the feedback on their intonation, their ener energy. And it's the difference between an agent that would be like, Hi, my name is Theo. Yeah, how can I help you today? Or, Hi, my name is Theo. Of course, let me help you today. You know, that energy. Right. And so we would increase that energy and the value for the customer was uh, an increase in sales conversion rate, mm -hmm. an increase in general quality of the conversations. And then because we would measure their energy, we would provide this information back to the what we call workforce optimization. Mm -hmm. So it, it's the ability to manage your workforce and see who is trending up and down, I mean quality management. Right. Uh, and so we would have some savings in quality management as well. Awesome. And then where do you actually take it from there? So how do you win your first uh, paying clients basically? So uh, that was a tough story because our, we actually had one of our investors that was a very large call, call center operator. 
uh, but we both didn't realize that to work together, we um, we needed to be what we call PCI certified, so have some very heavy certific- security certification in the company, which we didn't have in the first days. And so we started the company, we started burning cash, and we lost our first customer from the first month. Yeah. <laughs> and so after we scrambled a bit, and then we found an amazing first customer, which is a company called ACD Direct in the US, which takes in donations. Okay. Uh, when you see an ad online, uh, you can call and say, hey, I want to donate 50 bucks for this cause and this cause. Right. And we did help converting more donations and increasing the quality of conversations for this customer for about a thousand agents. Uh, and they were our first customers and we, we, we loved our, our time with them. Very nice. And can you also talk a bit more about the business model that you set up there? Did they pay you a subscription to use your services or what was the business model behind everything? Um, in contact centers, it was hard to make subscription back then because there was a lot of fluctuations in their volume. So we, okay. we offered a, a more flexible volume-based model where we charge roughly a cent a minute uh, to process the audio and to give real-time and post-call insights. Okay, nice. Yeah. You know, we all know that building companies is really hard. I mean, you already, it's like your third company already, so uh, you must know. You should also face opponents uh, along the way. So I'm just curious a bit more. You once mentioned to me in the prep call that there was also another co-founder that actually left the company. Can you talk a bit more about how you handled this? Because this is usually a a make it or break it situation for a company. Yeah, Um, that was was probably one of my best stories uh, because I met this this uh, amazing co-founder. We're still in touch. He's still advising us today. So we left in really good terms. But we worked together uh, for about a year. He had a very deep expertise and, and background in the contact center industry. Um, and uh, I was lucky to have him for, for a year. And then we, we raised capital together. So we did you know, those 40, 50 VC pitch. It was the first time I did that for a technology company. So he was amazing in coaching me and, and helping me moving forward. But... We, we, we got to a point where we actually got our first term sheet uh, from an investor. And um, it was a bit like a movie because I went to the printer. I printed the term sheet, very excited to go back to the office of and course, sign it. Yeah. And, I, and I wound around the paper like this and I said, look, we did it. And he's all white looking at me like, Theo, we need to talk. Oh. <laughs> And, uh, and so I'm like, sure, let's go for a walk. And basically he announced that he got an offer he couldn't refuse, uh, an amazing offer by a very large company. Uh, and so from one day to the next, he, he left the company. And it was very difficult because I was time pressured by SRI, by my visa to close those investors. And I had to basically go back to them and say, hey, I lost the guy that has the experience in the industry we're going for. Uh, what can we do about this? Um, and so that was a that was a, a, a very interesting time. How did you handle that with your investor? What did you talk to them about? So you were talking about uh, the help of the family. So I talk a lot with my father, and then I called him like, "Oh shit, you would not believe what happened." And then he he told me, "Listen." To be honest, the problem you have right now is too big. The only thing you can do is to focus on your level of energy. So go relax, do something, open a bottle of wine and, and like shift your mind into a positive stream. That's not the advice that you would expect from the outside. No, I know, I know. But it was the best because then I did that. Uh, played tennis, opened a bottle of wine. And then I woke up the next morning and I called up all the investors. But with a very positive energy. And I said, listen, this happened. 
I know we cannot close around right now, but um, I have a plan. Give me 30 days. I will figure out a new constellation that makes sense for everybody. And um, if you agree, we, we still go for it. I mean, I'll do this project by, I always say, by the door or by the window. I'll get in and I'll do it. Uh, and then it happened. 36 days later, I signed the, the, the term sheet, money in the bank. We were ready to go. Very nice. What did you do in between? What were the changes that you applied to win the trust back also to a certain degree, I guess? I think the trust was earned already by the first reaction and the ability yeah. to have a bit of resilience and, uh, and face the problem constructively and find a solution. And then pragmatically, I actually recruited another co-founder in, in, in 30 days. That's crazy. Yeah. So I had to find someone that left his job that had a lot of experience in the contacts in the industry and that, that joined us. How did you convince that person? Because you basically were in the need of a solution, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, the, um, it's the requirement of the founder to, in some sense, inspire people in the vision and, and have them join you by taking a lot of risks. So that's, that's kind of what happened. Absolutely. Well, that's a really nice story. That's cool. And maybe thinking about more recent challenges could also be the COVID-19 spread, because I can imagine this also has an effect on your clients and, and their businesses. Yeah. How did uh, Corona impact your business? So um, we have uh, five values at Otto. One of them is every obstacle is an opportunity. And the COVID was clearly a huge obstacle. But today is clearly an opportunity. Um, and the, the obstacle is that our prime market contact centers have a very slim margin. They had a very tough time. They ate up their margin because they need to set up remote workforce, invest in flexible cloud infrastructure and so on. And so for the rest of the year, no budget for things like auto. Um, so we very quickly took the opportunity to say, hey, let's, uh, let's address this exploding market that is happening thanks to COVID. Zoom went from 10 million daily users to a peak of 300. Um, teleconferencing, telehealth, telemedicine, and it's a, our technology works really well. Let's package it as a platform and service all those, those companies that are going to be cash rich and are exploding in this new wave. And so that's what we did. And in 10 weeks, we signed our first two customers in this new direction. Uh, and then the whole company is behind this new vision now. Yeah. This is probably also the startup advantage. So you can easily change course way more flexibly than the large companies, right? Yeah, so new opportunity, go for it. If it works, you make revenue. Otherwise, you look for something else. Exactly iterating until you find success. Exactly. I, I think that's something we'll more talk about in the second episode also. I'm already looking forward to that one. Cool. So despite the opponents, you usually also have supporters uh, along the way. Usually these are investors, obviously, that invest and believe in your company and support you with money. But at the same time, you also set up a special advisor board. And I think there uh, was one person, especially despite, of course, everyone else who also supported you on there, that uh, really made a, a big difference. Can you maybe share some stories there? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, big supporter, first of all, was SRI uh, because they um, they believed in uh, in me and uh, in my capacity to reinvent myself into the technological world. Um, and so that, that's my biggest gratitude of this project is, is starts there. Um, and then after that, SRI had a pretty amazing advisor for SRI. Mm -hmm. His name is Toli. Uh, he's a Greek cowboy, like he said it. Uh, the first time I saw him, he was joining one of SRI's board. Um, everyone was in suit and tie. 
He was in flip flops and a, a Hawaiian shirt and a and a cowboy hat, <laughs> and uh, and he has the capacity to take complex problems and you know simplify to the core essence and advise you on the on the base of the problem or on the like the universal truth of how you should proceed in certain situations or in all situations. Right. And so I, I I'm grateful for I mean he helped us without any expectations without anything for a long time. And I'm very grateful for the types of people like him that have the smarts and share the smarts uh, with young entrepreneurs like us. Is there a certain tip that you can give to startups, you know, looking for advisors, what to look for in order to find the right people to help them? It's hard. We turn to quite a few advisors. Uh, and the thing is, advisors change also with the stage of your company. Right. Uh, so you need to find the right fit for the right time. Um, any advice? I mean, of course, first of all, is a personal fit for me. So having pleasure exchanging with this person. Second is that this person r radiates a lot of energy. So I have some of my investors, advisors that every time I speak with them, I leave the room energized, no matter what they say, you know. Right. And then I would say is looking at their experience and the pedigree and seeing um, how their point of view might be useful to help you, you know, take a bit of a more helicopter view and and and, right. and ask yourself the right questions in your problems. And how do you actually incentivize them? Like, do you pay them a salary based on the meetings that you take? Do they get stock options or do they even invest in your company? It's a mix of, of, of all, uh, sometimes completely free advice. Um, uh, but when we go deeper, we then uh, compensate with uh, equity equity stake in the company. Right, makes sense. Now, one other thing that was really, um, you know, for me eye opening to see is that you basically, with the spin off, you started with the technology, and not the customer need or the market first. Yeah, that's usually the opposite way of you know all the startup handbooks out there or how entrepreneurs recommend you to start. Yeah. I can imagine that must have been a, a pretty challenging situation to then also find the market to that technology. How did you go about that? That's a, a motto that is um, that is quite present at SRI. Is it's always dangerous to have a technology looking for a market instead of a market looking for a technology. Right. Um, and definitely, it's challenging because you start with a set of capabilities and you need to to to, to market them. So you need to double down on market validation. Um, on you know customer validation and making sure the value add that you provide is a, is a product market fit. Right. How did you do that, especially? So, uh, to be fair, we're 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 still in the process. Okay. Um, and it's you know a lot of discovery meeting, a lot of interviewing, but also uh, facing reality as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a big gap between what people say and how they actually do and react and and pull out their checkbooks. <laughs> uh, so, you know, shortest time to prototype, um, shortest time to bringing something out there that will really make you face reality. Um, those were, were key ingredients, but it's it's especially hard when it's deep technology because it's long iterative cycles, you know? So right. that speed to prototype is, is a challenge. Yeah, you, you cannot change that tremendously, I can imagine, because the technology limits you, right? Exactly. And then, you know, you said you are still sort of validating to a certain degree. Um, would you say that you're already at product market fit? No. Okay. I would say we have a certain fit, but I will call it product market fit the day I have customers that are breaking the door of our office to get our product. 
Right. Um, and that's what I'm looking for, and that's what we we don't have. So we have customers, we generate revenue, but it's um, it's um, it's not yet to that point. So would you also agree that then it's more of an inbound thing instead of doing more outbound activities to a certain degree? Yes, inbound things, uh, also just references, um, customer reference, uh, word of mouth. But yeah, definitely inbound, inbound generation is, is, is key. This is sort of the sign that you're solving an important problem for them, right? Exactly. And what is missing from your perspective to where you stand now with your company to get to that product market fit? Um, I think it's a, it's a very clear message on a very clear problem for which we have the best solution and the alignment of the, of the three. Um, and, um, and we've been, exp- I mean, with this technology, we could do a, a very large amount of different things. And uh, we've been pulled into a lot of different directions by customer demands. Uh, but it's to find that single thread that allows you to have a repeatable, fast, easy, sales cycle that turns through rinse and repeat kind of sales, right? And it's to link those three in a perfect harmony. It's easier said than done. Easier said than done, (laughs) exactly, exactly. You also went pretty international from day one, basically. Now you have offices in Zurich, Lisbon, and also in New York. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to open offices in all these three locations and not gather everybody in, in just one office? I would say it's, um, it's because of the circumstances. We, we wanted to have, a, um, I mean, we are an American company initially, right? We're spun up from an American research center. And then the American market is, is where we feel we will have the most value or potential. So it's, it was very important for us to, 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 to start there. Uh, we quickly realized that from an engineering perspective, there was a lot of value to, to I don't want to say outsource, but to, to sort of outsource it to Europe because there's a lot of talent here at a much better rate, so to say. Um, but also the story of being an American company here in Europe allows us to attract some of the best. Uh, and so it was, a, it was a good, just a good story to spin and to attract the right people. Um, and then we opened Lisbon uh, again to do also some, uh, uh, some development work. Um, Zurich is a very expensive city. Um, and especially now we all work remote to some sense. So it was a good move definitely to open it there. Absolutely. And how do you actually spend your time across these three different locations? Is there, you know, any sort of the, the, the middle, the center of, of your life in one city, or are you always two to three days in, in one city and then you move to the next office? So it used to be in New York. I used to be very much based in the U.S., um, mostly to stay close to investors and prospective investors. Um, and then uh, our lead investor for our last round was from, I mean, is from London, First Minute Capital. And so it pulled a little bit the gravity of the, our network back to Europe. So I, I decided to, to actually open the office in Lisbon, put a bit of the culture, put a bit of the energy there. Uh, and Nico is here in Zurich, so he manages that really well. Uh, And so we now share these two responsibilities and I will go back and forth a bit with New York. Got it. So this also shifts a bit, you know, as you said before, depending where you stand with your company, your advisors shift. So also your focus on where you spend the time also shifts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, can you tell us a bit more about where you currently stand? I know that you raised a $5.3 million seed round. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any other numbers that you can share about where your business is currently standing? So we've raised 5.3 million. Uh, prior to the COVID, we were 23 people in the company. 
we have reduced the amount of people to extend a bit the runway to face the crisis. So that was a difficult time. Um, but otherwise, uh, we have analyzed tens of millions of conversations already with the system. So we, we, um, we have the chance to have a data-rich um, system. We have worked with about 10 companies, enterprise, uh, in, in various sectors, and that's uh, hopefully growing at one a month starting from now. Um, yeah, so those are some of the key features. I don't know if there's something specific you'd be looking for. No, I'm, I was just uh, surprised by the COVID fact um, that you had to also lay off people. Um, I think, yeah, many companies, um, you know, sort of are affected by this. Which areas did you have or did you decide to, to reduce the headcount in order to extend the runway? Uh, it was a bit of a proportional cut across different uh, areas. Um, and then, of course, our new shift towards um, the platform play uh, requires less of the contact center expertise and more of the like B2D business to developer expertise. And so there's a slight change of skill set that, that informed also how we wanted to shape the team for the next steps. Makes sense. And what was sort of your rationale? You said extending the runway, obviously, but did you do any like scenario planning where you said, okay, your realistic scenario at the moment is that this COVID situation goes on for, I don't know, one more year or so that you really then have to, to take action? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you prepare for the worst uh, and then you trim as much as in some sense you can to, to prepare for the worst. Um, so the scenario was that definitely this year was going to be complicated. Um, and that we needed to have enough runway to to last until spring or summer of next year. Mm -hmm. So we had that time to bounce back, build a new product, and then and improve the new uh, value with new sales and new cust onboarded customers. Right. Uh, and so it was a balance of how many people we need to do that, how much time we have. It's never perfect, it's never ideal. Sure. Uh, but but then you 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 strike with a plan accordingly. And uh, I think that's also a good uh, point to talk about the future and what you're going to do with the, the seed money that you raised. What can we expect from Otto in the future? Well, now we, um, with that money, we have been able to push the, um, the applied research a little bit, and we have actually completely replaced the technology from SRI with our own, with all the learnings, all the data that we've collected, essentially. And what's interesting is that it became uh, basically twice as good in terms of accuracy, but also 150 times cheaper to run on a computer to a point that we can actually run it anywhere. Yeah. And so what we're going to be using the money for right now, it's to demonstrate the value of being able to deploy this kind of voice intelligence on the edge. It can be on IoT, on an earbud, in a hearing aid. It can be, you know, uh, on a client uh, that has massive advantages, privacy preserving, cost, speed. Uh, and we want to use the rest of the money to, to prove out this edge market. Right. And then you really develop yourself to this platform that you mentioned before, right? To a certain degree. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And it's key to be nimble. I'm, I mean, I'm proud to say in, in 10 weeks, we had an idea, we shaped it, we built it, and we shipped our two first customers already. Uh, as that, that, that for me speaks of the, of the agility of, of, uh, of the move. Absolutely. And the strong team. in the And the strong team, of course. <laughs> Wow. So we are really curious to see what's uh, coming next from you then. Uh, exciting future ahead. And to conclude this episode, uh, we would like to know more about the resources and gadgets that you can recommend or use yourself. Are there any gadgets that you use yourself on a regular basis? I meditate a lot, uh, but I do that 
for now a bit myself, but I, I, I started a, a, a program that's called Positive Intelligence Quotient. Um, and I, and it's an app that, uh, that helps you think positively and again, transform obstacles into opportunities. Right. Uh, so that's a really cool app that I, I've been using in the past uh, four or six weeks that I, I really like. And what, what effect has this meditation on you that also helps in, in business, for example? It's, uh, it's huge. If I don't meditate for a few days, uh, the pressure quickly catch ups to me. Um, and so being able to be objective, seeing the bigger picture, knowing that work is not, you know, all your life and that there's things beyond that and that you value as well helps you put things in perspective and think objectively and calmly on how we should, you should deal with the daily challenges. Absolutely. That's also a good chance to look at beyond work. What does Theo do when he's not working? Yes, that's a good point. I work a lot. <laughs> no, but uh, um, when I don't work, actually the weekends, I have to say I pull the plug big time. Um, I started kitesurfing kite in Portugal. Uh, this is really Perfect amazing. Perfect place, I guess. Perfect place. Uh, I try to do different readings that are completely work unrelated to push out creativity, open some new doors. And anything that I can do to sort of explore with my mind and explore my you know, sort of consciousness and, and being a better person is, is something I do a lot beyond work. Very nice. You mentioned books. Are there any books or also other resources like blogs, podcasts, newsletters that you can recommend to our listeners? So uh, Swisspreneur podcast is a fantastic, <laughs> is a fantastic resource. That's of very information. great to hear. Thank you. Uh, after that, I love to listen to Tim Ferriss as well. Uh, he has an amazing podcast on so many different topics. I think he's brilliant. Um, I do a lot of reading a little bit about, you know, spirituality, philosophy. And sometimes I, I love to find books that links businesses and, and spirituality. But one I read a long time ago was Conscious Capitalism by John Mackay, uh, the founder of Whole Foods, and how he brings those principles into business and how it's fruitful. Uh, so I, I, th those are the worlds I love to read about. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for these tips and also the very uh, interesting and fascinating stories that you shared with us today. Thank it was you. a pleasure talking to you and Same, we already look forward to the second episode with you next week. Awesome. Thank you, Silva. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. Stay connected with the Swisspreneur community through our LinkedIn and Instagram profiles. Make sure to subscribe to our show on whatever podcast platform you're using. See you next week for a brand new episode of The Swisspreneur Show.